right, Dr. Ed, go. Today is Tuesday, January 30th, 2024, Feast of St. Martina, Virgin and Martyr. Welcome to episode 201 of the Barnhart Podcast. This is Mark Doherty alongside Anne and Dr. Edmund Matza. Hey, guys. Hey, Mark. Hey, everybody. Long hey time guys. no talk. Long, not, long time no talk. I don't we know. We did a little hiatus. We did a little hiatus, but we're back and, and stronger than ever and really excited. It's, it's not like anything has happened within the last two months or however long it's been since um, Dr. Matza's webinar, which is really the last time I think we all got to talk. Yeah, so that's uh, almost two months ago for the webinar and lots of stuff to talk about from there, but also sort of unfortunately, uh, a lot of current events, both in the church and in the world. And I think we're going to focus today on the church and maybe save the, the current events for the back half of the of the podcast, but I think Dr. Matza is here with some brand new, never before seen evidence, um, research. Um, even Anna and I haven't seen it, so uh, let's get the show on the road, Dr. Matza. Okay. Yeah, Dr. Well, Matza, dazzle us. <laughs> well, I've been uh, reading about my uh, my paisanos uh, over in Italy who are doing uh, research that folks here, you know, in the English speaking world just don't know about. And I'm talking about mm. solid, solid people, uh, canon lawyers. Uh, and so I'm going to share some insights that they have come up with that support what we've been doing for years now. In addition to that, uh, I've got a couple of blockbuster things. I, I can reveal a little bit of, of it. Uh, it has to do with Our Lady of Akita which I'm going to cover more deeply in the upcoming Maza course for Lent and Easter, the uh, Marian apparitions and end times prophecies. So uh, more on that to come. But let me start with... Well, I think it, be it, be it bears mentioning, you mentioned these are all Italians and Italian canonists. Um, I'll and we'll put this in the show notes. Remember that there were four, I think all four of them were Italian. There were four Italian canonists who were jumping up and down, one of them within hours of Pope Benedict making the, the February 11th, 2013 announcement, saying, no, 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 this, this is all wrong, this is all wrong. And then three more chimed in before the March 13th usurpation at the Faux Conclave by Bergoglio. So the, there have been serious, legit Italian canonists all over this from literally the first hours. And we have all those citations, and I'll, I'll just put that link in the show notes just so everybody can go back through and review it. But yeah, the, the Italians have been all over this, the good Italians. Now, now there's a contingent of Italian sensationalists. Um, one, the, the ringleader is a non-practicing Catholic, kind of a low-rent, Italian version of Alex Jones. I mean, but super low rent with with a, a an audience in the dozens, you know. Um, and he's kind of ringleading the the kooky contingent with the upside down five dimensional underwater chess that that uh, allegedly Pope Benedict was playing. And uh, as as you, Mark, are so fond of pointing out, here we are, what, almost 400 days or close to 400 days since Pope Benedict's death. And 
we're still waiting for that dead man switch, aren't we? If that theory is correct, then there needs to be a dead man switch, and I don't know what they're waiting for. That's true. Yep, that's because there was no dead man switch, and Pope Benedict was in substantial air. Yeah, <laughs> we, we can we can put the we'll put the link in the show notes. But there were several, uh, four or more, um, professors, canonists that came out within days or within hours of uh, mm-hmm. Pope Benedict read, reading out his Declaratio, coming at it from a number of different ways, uh, actually, that um, actually what he did was t- to not fully resign, that um, yeah. the, 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 the way that he put it together doesn't hold water, and others saying that the, the notion of, now this would have come later because he didn't, Benedict sort of unrolled what he was doing. He didn't say the word emeritus right away. Right, right. He kind of rolled, slow (laughs) rolled it in the two weeks that he had before before it actually was supposed to take effect. Um, And all of these things, when when he was being interviewed about, well, you're going to destroy the the papal ring. When when is that going to happen? What day is that? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not doing that. Well, you, you're going to, you know, your vesture, will, will, will you be going back to being a cardinal or were you, you know, simple black cassock? What will, oh, no, 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 that's not what I'm doing. No, because there's no black cassocks in Rome. There's no that's black right. cassocks in Rome. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then he explained that he was going to keep the papal title and be Pope Emeritus. And the canonists were all over that saying, that's impossible. Yeah. So anyway, go ahead, Doc. All right, Dr. Ed, go. <laughs> so the book is called uh, Non Era Pew Louis, uh, which I, I guess means that, uh, what, what would be a good translation of that? Uh, he, he wasn't himself. It was himself. not him anymore. Right. It wasn't him. Very yeah. good. Uh, and it, there are really two people speaking in this book. The first part of the book is an interview now, the first part of the book is uh, a, a, a lawyer named Federico Michelin, M-I-C-H-I-E-L-A-N. Uh, the second part of the book is an interview between Gaetano, how do I pronounce his last name here? Masciulo, M-A-S-C-I-U-L-L-O, with Francesco Patruno, who is also a, uh, a lawyer. Uh, and so I'm going to be sharing, let me start with the second part first. Let me start with Francesco Petruno and some of the really inf- interesting information that's coming out of this, this. And by the way, this book was published by Fede et Cultura, which is um, Dr. Merberto Di Mattei's outfit. Uh, but it's oh, actually, really? yeah, they're, so there's, they're huh. coming, they're, they're moving along in our direction, it seems, um, by publishing this. And this came out at the end of 2022, just before Benedict died. Um, So here we go. Uh, One of the interesting things I learned is that, did you know that Pope Paul VI and Pope John Paul II actually wrote up uh, resignation letters in case they became incapacitated uh, and were not able to actually, you know, construct a, a letter? Uh, and I can read to you the line that they used uh, for their mm-hmm. for their you know renunciation uh, uh, to 
renounce our sacred and canonical office both as Bishop of Rome and as head of the same Holy Catholic Church. Wow. Full stop. There's some clarity for you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which, you know, B- Barnhart podcast listeners should know by now that that's not, this, Benedict did not employ language anything close to that, that clear. <laughs> uh, in fact, we're just, what, about 10 days away now from the 11th anniversary mm-hmm. of uh, Benedict's uh, declaratio of, of abdication or renunciation. And he, uh, he, in that February 11th, 2013 document, says that he is renouncing the ministry of the Bishop of Rome. He says mm-hmm. nothing about renouncing the canon- uh, the, uh, the, off- the head of the Holy Catholic Church, the primatial uh, office. Yep. He, so uh, that's the first thing that, that struck me as, as and, really and, fascinating. And I wonder, do you think do you think that Joseph Ratzinger, as the head of the CDF, would have seen with his own eyes at least the JP2 letter draft, you know? Well, and it, being it, kind it, of he, JP2's he, right hand man, you think he would you think he would have seen that? Mm, he would mm-hmm. almost certainly have been the keeper of it, if not. Well, yeah. Oh well, maybe maybe Zewitz, the the secretary, might have maybe. been the keeper of it, or maybe the secretary of state. But he didn't. But Ratzinger didn't trust them. Well, I know um, JP JP two trusted Zewitz, but he didn't. I think it, it, uh, Ratzinger or Zewitz. It would be kind of fifty fifty. So uh, so Petruno goes on. I mean, the the book is uh, is. Like I say, it's quite fascinating and it, it, it's it's uh, quite lengthy. Um, but here's here's a, a, another comment that he makes. Um, what is certain is that a misconception about the papacy, which involved uh, an equal. So he's talking about Benedict's uh, renunciation and his creation of this office that never existed in two thousand years of Catholic history of the Pope mm-hmm. Emeritus, uh, or as some people say, Emeritus. Um, yes. What is certain is that a misconception uh, about the papacy, which involved an equally new juridical figure, right, i.e. Pope Emeritus, not mm-hmm. contemplated either by divine law uh, or uh, even less by positive human law should lead to doubts about the validity of the renunciation by redounding this error on the substance of the act, unquote. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. he references, now you'd think he would be referencing Canon 188, which is true, but he actually references Canon 126, which is actually similarly worded. Uh, uh, there's a section of the can- Code of Canon Law that deals with juridic acts. That's Canons 124 to 128. And this is what Canon 126 says. An act placed out of ignorance or out of error concerning something which constitutes its substance, 
uh, is invalid. So it basically is repeating in more in more words, in more detailed words, what Canon 188 says about uh, a resignation that is done out of simony or grave fear or uh, out of uh, substantial error. So uh, Francesco Petruno is the author of the quote that I gave you, and the, the second half of the book is an is a is an interview with him. So he's clearly um, on on board with the substantial error, um, uh, you know, diagnosis of of what happened with Ratzinger. But in addition to that, uh, he points out other. Uh, well, for example, he's let me give give you one more quote where he talks about Benedict. He talks about the interview that Benedict did, the book length interview that Benedict did with uh, Seewald, right? His fellow mm -hmm. German. Uh, they've been friends for years, and he did two book-length interviews with him after um, he stepped to the side. And this is what he says. He says, he quotes Benedict to Seewald, where Benedict told Seewald, a father doesn't stop being a father. Uh, he, he gives up concrete responsibilities, but he doesn't stop being a father. And this is what um, mm -hmm. Petruno writes. This seems problematic to me. Uh, it denoted what was his mind, his will in, and then with air quotes, renunciation. That is, to abdicate what he called the active papacy mm -hmm. and preserve what would be the quote-unquote passive papacy. Mm -hmm. Which, again, this is what... We've been talking about for years now, but uh, again, this is a, a canon lawyer at uh, the University of Bari, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to double check his uh, credentials here. Um, now, in his second, in the second half of the book, where Petruno is talking, he brings up other people who, other Italians who have said things that again are are seemingly in on our wavelength here, uh, perhaps folks might remember the name Vittorio Mezzori. He was the guy, a journalist who interviewed uh, John Paul II for the crossing the threshold of faith. Remember that? Like, was that 95? Um, and I, I was still a dirty, I was still a dirty <laughs> Protestant back then. Yeah, he, he was one of one of the first um, that was quoted in that in the, in the Magister article, um, you know, to be out within days of the Declaratio. Oh, he's uh, one of the four? Yeah, he is. Oh, and okay, okay. Now, Rorate Chile, uh, Blogspot, right, they, in uh, 2014, published uh, an article in translation by Mitsuri, which was originally in Corriere della Sera from May 28th, 2014. And what I did was I, I went back and I I read that Rorate piece, and you can you can look it up. It's again, it's an English translation. But what is interesting is is what Metsori says here. He says, well, first Metsori quotes Professor Violi. Now it was Violi, mm -hmm. again a university professor who was the first one back in February March of 2013 to argue that Ratzinger did not renounce. Uh, 
Well, he didn't renounce the office. He renounced the exercise yeah. of the office. So Mitsuri, mm -hmm. quoting Violi, says, Benedict XVI divested himself of all the power of government and command inherent in his office without, however, abandoning his service to the church. This continues through the exercise of the spiritual dimension of the pontifical munis entrusted to mm -hmm. him. This yep. he did not intend renouncing. He this is, listen to this. Uh, this is how it's translated into English. He renounced not his duties, which are irrevocable, but the concrete mm -hmm. execution of them, unquote. Mm -hmm. And so Metzori writes, is it perhaps for this that Francis seems not to be fond of calling himself Pope, aware as he is of sharing, sharing the pontifical munus, at least in the spiritual dimension with Benedict. Um, instead, what he has inherited entirely from Benedict, this is Metzori speaking, is the office of the Bishop of Rome. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about that. And then he says, therefore, would the church then for the first time truly have two popes, one reigning and one emeritus? It appears that this was the will of Joseph Ratzinger himself with mm -hmm. the renunciation of the active service only and that it was, quote, a solemn act of his magisterium. Yeah. Uh, and then he says, finally, and this is kind of weird, if it is truly so, well, so much the better for the church. It is a gift that they are near each other, even physically. <sighs> one, <laughs> one who directs <laughs> and teaches and one who prays and suffers for everyone but most of all, to sustain his confrere in his everyday pontifical office, unquote. And this is where we all vomit, yeah. Mm -hmm. Doing now, so is... well there, professor, <laughs> and then just fall off the cliff. Now, this is, <laughs> oh, my this is not us saying this. This is Vittorio Mitsuri, the guy who interviewed Pope yeah. John Paul II several times. He might have interviewed uh, Ratzinger for all I can remember, but... Uh, this was two years before, almost to the day, two years before the Ganswine speech at the Greg. Yeah, yeah. Where where Ganswine, also the buzzword, um, the irrevocable. Notice that he used the word irrevocable, which Ganswine also used in the in the uh, Greg speech in May of May of sixteen. So all those buzzwords have been swirling around from the very beginning, that, that Pope Benedict believed that the papacy was irrevocable, which we, as we have discussed at length, is incorrect, that is false, it's a juridical office, you can resign it, and, and it's over. Um, but he didn't do that, clearly. So yeah, it's, it's not just us, but it just, it blows my mind that people can get so close and be right there but then I guess it's it's love of money, um, love of human respect, um, 
thinking you'll be blacklisted and your career will be over, which in fairness for a lot of people, it would be it. And I've had them tell me that to my face. I can't say anything. My life, my career would be completely over. Um, not only their career, but a lot of their friendships would be over too, um, that they can't say anything. But I, I just don't get it to get that close and then, and then just fall off the cliff like that and say, look at this massive, massive substantial error that this man made. But oh well, isn't this beautiful? Now we have two of them and the one supporting the other. And you just, ugh, gentlemen, come on. You, you can't do any better than that, but I guess not. And here we, and here we three sit, so. It's confirmation bias. The, yeah. the, the, ones, the ones who are at least intellectually honest about what they're saying, it can only be confirmation bias. Yeah. And then there's the other subset that you just mentioned, that they know what's what, and they won't say anything. And yeah, yeah. you have some choice words for those people. If you, if you know what the truth is, and you refuse to acknowledge it, just, just keeping your mouth shut at that point is itself a species of lying. And you're gonna have to answer for that. And it's just, yeah, it's getting, it's, and now with all of the, you know, um, you know, uh, touch me, touch me Fagnandez's documents about Sato blessings and all that. It's, it's just getting harder and harder and harder for these people to make any sort of a case. I mean, I've been saying this for years and warning people it's bad now. It's just going to keep getting worse. What are you going to do? I mean, I used to use the Sato blessings as a rhetorical device. We could probably dig back through past episodes of the podcast. I'm literally using the blessing of sodomy as a rhetorical device. What is it gonna take people? What does he have to do? Does he have to issue a document blessing sodomy? And here we are, and people are still saying things like, well, I see no evidence and there have been bad popes in the past and this is all just going to, this will all fix itself. We just have to wait for him to die. Never mind that Jorge Mario Bogolio is a human being created in the image and likeness of God and it is God's positive will that Jorge Mario Bergoglio be saved. But no, the position of the Catholic Church is now, nah, forget him. Forget that one, forget that one. No, no, just let them be lost to hell. Um, it's just, it's just mind blowing. And I, I know, I know that it's, it's very tempting, especially people who have families, um, that they don't want to lose their job. And if they say anything against Bergoglio, that they're, they're financially done. And a lot of these people have these, they're, they're laymen who have theology degrees and they basically have no other skill sets in the real world. So they're either teaching, you know, theology at a high school or, you know, for an archdiocese or, or at a university level or something like that, or they're basically completely economically helpless. And, and a lot of them are too old to start over now. And so they're terrified. And don't, don't think I can't empathize with all this. However, I also go to mass every day and there's quite a lot of talk in the readings and in the prayers about all of us taking up our crosses and putting God first in absolutely everything. And if that means that you're being called to lose everything, lose your career, well, I mean, how do you, how do you think St. Paul felt? 
How do you think the apostles felt, even though their careers were was nothing more than being aquaculturists? You know, what you, our Lord saying, "Hey guys, I'm going to have to ask you to give up your fishing business." You know, um, Saint Paul was you know, turning an aircraft carrier around in a bathtub. He had to do a complete 180 to the point where it would instantly, he knew that his life was, he knew his life was in danger from the Jews who he was, you know, turning his back on and coming away from. But the other thing that blows my mind about St. Paul is that he, he had to be very fearful about even approaching the Christians because, you know, two days ago, he had just been greasing, greasing their friends. He had been literally killing their friends. And so then he, ha he had to get up off the road to Damascus, march to the Christians and say, look, I'm converted and take that risk. So it's, he, he was taking massive, a massive risk on both sides. And we've got people now and priests and, and, and religious saying things like, I can't say anything against Bergoglio because I can't afford to lose my health insurance. If you think that's going to get you through your particular judgment, ah, uh, boy, you, you need to go sit in front of a tabernacle and pray the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary and just, and just think real long and hard about that. Dismount soapbox. Well, I at least have have hope right now because of the things that have been unfolding here over the past, I don't know, six weeks and the sodomy blessings and all that, that there's actually active, yeah. um, active resistance to this worldwide. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, there's also some support for it, but there's certainly more resistance than there is support. So you have these bishops and these conferences coming out and saying, we're not doing this. And then yeah. you have uh, Bergoglio, I think just yesterday, said that, well, you know, the Africans can do what they need to do because uh, they seem to be of the opinion that the, the sodomy is ugly. So, okay, they're, 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 they're just, uh, you know, it's the third world. They're, they're not, they're not at, at the, the thought level that we are here in the, in the first world. Exactly. And remember, this is echoing Walter Casper in what, what year was it? It was like the first synod on the family. And Edward Penton sees Cardinal Casper walking out of this synod on the family thing, walking through um, St. Peter's Square, and walks up to him with his iPhone out, and there's this gaggle of reporters, and he, you know, asks, asks Casper a question about this. And Casper basically says, we don't need to pay attention to anything that the Africans say or do, because, I mean, it was, it was spectacularly racist. He said he just basically discounted all Africans, qua Africans. We don't need to pay attention to anything that they say, you know, pat them on the head, whatever. Deutschland, Deutschland, umper alles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, are not of the, they are not of the pure race, so um, they are not of the Aryan blood, so you don't have to pay, pay attention to anything we say. Well, I'll, I'll find that and put that in the show notes. Uh, the Casper Penton situation. And, um, you know, Edward Penton reports on this. And Casper vehemently denies this. Now think about this. The, the consequences to Edward Penton, if this was not confirmable, would have been not just his job, but his entire career. And Casper is such an evil, evil man 
that he was perfectly willing to destroy a man's life, destroy his life and livelihood, um, because he got caught saying this spectacularly racist thing. But thank God, Edward Penton's iPhone had a, you know, had a 70% charge and he got all of this recorded. And Edward Penton immediately posted all of this and it went all over the place and his career was saved. But if, if Ed Penton's battery on his phone had been dead, it would have been the end of his career because you would have had a cardinal prince of the church saying, you lied. This quote is a lie. I never We did said have it. that happen. Casper didn't know that the recording existed and he did come after him. And yeah, Penton exactly. put it down within 24 hours, but make no yep. mistake, he tried. Yeah, he tried to destroy the man. And not only they're, that. They're a, they're a classy uh, bunch. Go ahead, Dr. Ed. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, you won't find a more wretched hive of vil and scum, uh, scum, 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 and scum and villainy than Mus Eisley on the Tiber. Um, mm -hmm. but they did, the, 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 Fran the Franken church went after, uh, Penton and tried to smear him. Of all people, Cardinal Maradiaga, I mean, there's a face only a mother could love, comes out and <laughs> says, and <laughs> it's an expression my mother used to use. Uh, he, he, this guy comes out and he calls Ed Penton a mafia hitman. Mild, oh, mild mannered. <laughs> mild mannered Ed Mild mannered Englishman <laughs> Edward Penton is a mafia hitman. <laughs> so at, at the time oh, I times. I had at the time I had my show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, The Bar of History. I did a skit. I had the Godfather music playing in the background and I said <laughs> I I never wanted this for you, Ed Penton. I I never wanted this for you. I knew that one day Marco Tassati and one day, I'll, Andrea Tornelli would have to deal with this. But I thought you would hold the strings. We just, we just didn't have enough time, Ed. We just didn't have enough time. <laughs> it's better with the music in the back. I don't know. If super, I don't know if Super Nerd can add that in to the final to the final cut. Does that still exist? Does that original recording of that episode still exist? It does. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna have to link to that uh, the 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 Ed Godfather skit. So, Anne, going it. back to something you said, uh, going back to something that you were that you brought up a minute ago about you know sins of omission and knowing what's what but choosing to do nothing. It's not a species of lying. It's, it's, it's sin. It's, you're, you're failing to act in a situation where um, you need to act. Uh, you know, the care of souls is the highest law of the church. And especially yeah. if you're in a position of, uh, if you're in some kind of an ecclesiastical office where you actually have the power to uh, make something happen here, and you're doing nothing, <laughs> Cardinal Burke. <laughs> yeah. yes. I mean, yes. you're, you're mm -hmm. not you're not wrong. What you said about uh, you know when these men come before their particular judgment, it, it is. Uh, and furthermore, this was one of the best parts of the online conference, in my opinion. Uh, after Liz Ure gave her talk, 
there was a question that came up from a listener because uh, I guess she wa- she wasn't didn't have a hundred percent clarity in her presentation as to her actual position on Bergoglio. Yeah. And someone asked about it, and she came you know straight away and said, "Of course he's not the Pope." And then she sort of went into this rant where I was expecting her to start banging her shoe on the table, but you know, saying, "Of course he's not Pope. Why isn't anybody doing anything about this?" And oh, by the way, for all those out there who keep saying, you know, ten years later, eleven years later, we just need to wait for him to die. How mm-hmm. in the world do you think that's possibly a solution? Do you think these criminals, after they have usurped power, are ever, ever going to relinquish that? Exactly. And of course, there's parallels between other places in the world and other governments in the world, right? Yep, yep, absolutely. And I don't understand how, how there's lobbying, including like Father Z every once in a while will say, well, Benedict is dead, so the entire question of whether or not his resignation was valid is now moot. No, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth because if you don't get this right all the way back at the root, which is Ratzinger's resignation, you are going to be beaten over the head with the so-called Bergolian magisterium that's right, Anne, because we can't just have Bergoglio dismissed or tossed out and have a conclave and we go our happy, merry way. His entire fake pontificate needs to be declared null and uh, expunged because we can't have heresy in the magisterium. And that's what apparently we have We can't have, have the, the touch me, the touch me Fagnandes magisterium being cited as having anything to do with the Catholic Church or the Catholic faith for one more nanosecond than, than it already has. This needs to be taken care of. Yes. And going back to, you know, the breaking point for a lot of us was Amoris Laetitia. And, you know, this is clearly a magisterial level document that and was entered into the AAS. And it says that, uh, you know, you can be divorced and remarried and be tickety boo and sorry for your real spouse. But, uh, you know, you're good to go now. And God positively wills adultery in certain circumstances. Yeah, that, Correct. that's the, that's the Correct. fun one. Yeah. Yep. Well, we were just talking about Ed yep. Penton. Uh, he, he has a new interview with a very interesting individual, speaking of the Italians again. Uh, Monsignor Nicola Bux, B-U-X. Mm-hmm. Did you guys see that interview? It's I saw it, web. but I didn't get the chance to read it. I saw it just before we started recording. Okay. What's the What's the gist? Uh, that you know, fiducia supplicants does not belong to the authentic magisterium, and he calls on Cardinal Fernandez to resign. Um, so if I guess we can attach it to the show notes. Um, Absolutely. But the, but the base premise is false. That's the problem. The base premise is false because Books is coming at it as if Bergoglio and the papacy have anything to do with each other, as if Fernandez is validly anything to do with the, with the CDF or DDF or whatever they want to call it now. 
It's it's yeah. coming at it. If you don't get all the way to the root, it still yields chaos. Because now, because now, if you if let's say if let's say um, Bergoglio goes away or dies or whatever, and you get you know Pope Pope Leo the Fourteenth super docs um, in there, now you've got all of these trads on the record saying you don't have to pay attention to anything the Pope says or the Magisterium says if you don't like it, and. Satan is laughing his butt off at everyone as they're getting played here. The only solution, the only way to checkmate Satan in this is to go all the way back and heal it at the root. If you're making any argumentation like Monsignor Books is, that this has anything to do with the Catholic Church, I mean, these, these people are observably apostate. They're observably apostate. Shouldn't that give you some sort of an indication that you should look back and say, wait a minute, this is, this is impossible. This is impossible according to the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Holy Gospels. Something's wrong here. That's the other thing that blows my mind is the unwillingness of any of these people to go back and just check their base premise. Why? Why can, why can we declare that the papacy has been a giant mistake for 2,000 years? Why can people say that without blushing? Why can people say that Vatican I was a mistake and a disaster and invalid? A, an infallible ecumenical council. People can, people, trads are saying that all day long without even blushing. So you can say, say things like that, but we can't go back and even ask the question if maybe something odd happened in February of 2013. That blows my mind. You'll throw the church all the saints, every believing Catholic, every doctor of the church, the Holy Gospels, you'll throw all of that in the Tiber happily, without, even, without any hesitation, and berate people who, who refuse to do that, but you won't ask the question if something odd happened in February of 2013. This is, that is what I cannot, I can't see where they're coming from. I don't understand it. I don't empathize with it. I can't formulate um, any sort of logical, you know, mistaken, but logical argument of where they're coming from. How could you possibly, possibly not see this, Peter Kwasniewski, Mike Matt, et cetera, et cetera. How can you not see this? This is, it's, it just, it blows my mind. Dismount well, soapbox. No, no, you're right. I, at my uh, uh, one day seminar, Pope's prophecies anti-popes uh, I, I brought up some specific examples um, like for example I can give you a quote here this is from Dr. John Joy uh, who is over at the board at 1 Peter 5 and in an article at 1 Peter 5 from summer of 2022 the title of the article get this the Pope is not the church and the church is not the Pope and <laughs> what he says in the article is he says, when it comes to teaching in matters of faith and morals, the Pope only speaks for the church, only speaks for the church when he speaks ex cathedra. But in every other case, whether in encyclical letters, post-synodal apostolic exhortations, paragraphs of the catechisms, letters to bishops accompanying liturgical legislation, and so on and so forth, he speaks only on his own authority as the Pope. That, no. in, in such cases, we should not say that, quote, the church teaches something. 
but rather that the Pope teaches it. You've got to be that's heresy. kidding me. And that's thus, heresy. It's a lie. It's a lie. He has yeah. to know that that's not true, that he is not a dumb guy. He has no, to theologian. know that those words uh, are false. Uh, I, I think he's the official theologian, or he was, of the Diocese of Madison, Wisconsin, if I'm not mistaken. And so, in my again, this is available actually at uh, at my website, edmundmaza.com. I can send you the three-hour video. Uh, I respond to that with Cardinal Alphonse Maria Stickler, a great friend of the Latin Mass and of tradition, mm -hmm. who died at the ripe old age of 97, uh, back in the early years of the millennium. Uh, he was the Vatican librarian, and this is what he says. Uh, he says that uh, the Pope stands for the Church, which has never erred, which cannot err, in questions that involve eternal spiritual salvation. Uh, and so he goes on to say, uh, he and the Church of Rome can never be conceived of as two disjunct or even less opposed things. The Roman pontiff is, in this context, the Church of Rome. And therefore, the inerrancy of the Church of Rome is the inerrancy of the Roman pontiff. And he goes on to say that if the person of the Pope becomes a heretic, he no longer holds the office of the Pope, just as a judge who has become clinically insane even though he remains the same person, can no longer be regarded as a judge uh, as far as the effects of the office are concerned. Uh, so it's, an, it's entirely the opposite of what Joy was just saying. Yeah. I think I'll go with Cardinal Stickler. I, th I, I think, think I'll stick with him, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he is a stickler, but we can, we, we can still go along with him. Um, and then as, as regards, uh, what was his name? As regards Books, what's ironic about him is that he was the one in, and again, we're t today is the Italian episode, in, a, in an interview with uh, blogger Aldo Maria Valli from October of 2018, Books was the one who said that we should study more accurately the question concerning the juridical validity of Pope Benedict XVI's renunciation. That is to say, Ooh, whether, yes. whether it was full or partial or doubtful, since the idea of a yes, sort of collegiate papacy seems decidedly against the gospel. Books was on side with us in that pre-COVID, yeah, 2017, 18, 19. And something happened and someone or something got to him and he, um, a year and a half ago, or a little over a year ago, he gave an address at the Augustinianum in Rome, um, where he was basically raging that there's nothing you can do about any of this, and you are committing a horrible sin if you even think that you could do anything about this. And the room, I mean, the room was not full of Benedict as Pope people, but the room was hostile to his, to his point. And in fact, um, I heard that somebody raised their hand and said, I don't understand the point of your talk. You're talking out of both sides of your mouth. You're saying there's nothing anybody can do and, and you're committing sin if you even try to, and you're not like trusting, I don't know, trusting the motions of the Holy Spirit or whatever. 
And, you know, it was it was not well received, but absolutely 100% something happened to that guy, somebody got to that guy, because he's done a complete 180 flip flop um, from being, you know, very sympathetic and looking at the, looking at the resignation and being open to looking at the resignation to being absolutely militant door shut Francis's Pope. There's nothing you can do about it. And you're a sinner if you even try to do anything about it. Uh, that's, that's not cool, but you know, Southern, Southern Italians, Southern Italians, who, who knows? And then you can't recognize the law of non-contradiction when you're now suddenly Francis is definitely Pope, but you're coming out in this interview yesterday or whenever it was saying, but you're free to ignore this fiducia supplicants, yeah. you know, like, well, it, yep. it's one or the other because you can't do that if he's a valid Pope, right? Well, it's, it's the Freemasonic agenda to just reduce the papacy to a meaningless figurehead position. And I mean, they're they're ninety some odd percent of the way there at this point, um, because because Trad Inc is is helping them aggressively. J don't pay attention to anything he said. I want to ask those people. We can't do anything for everyone who's saying that. How do you think we got rid of the other twenty two anti popes? Yeah. You know, wh while they were yet usurping the pay the the office, almost yep. all of them were deposed while they le yet lived, which is what mm -hmm. you want because you want to you, you want to give that person time to repent. Exactly. You, won't, you don't want them to die. If you have charity, you don't want a man to die uh, in usurpation of the papal office. Yeah, including Jorge Mario Bergoglio, as Correct. odious as he is. As odious as he is, we want him, and that's why this is uh, petition number, what, three in the Matthew 17, 20 intention, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the beatific vision. Die in the state of grace in the fullness of time. That doesn't mean that we're praying for the hastening of his death. It's exactly the opposite. We want that that slug to live for as long as he possibly can so that he can he can repent revert and do penance for this do as much penance while you're while you're still alive as you possibly can i, I think this is this is a really important proof set to me that our position is true and that the trad ink position is wrong of just let him die because the trad ink position of just wait for him to die is completely, totally antithetical to the gospel. Totally. So how can you tell me that a position that is completely and totally antithetical to the gospel, that the shed blood of Christ is not enough to cover the sins of Jorge Bergoglio, that, that there are people who are beyond hope, that we should not have fraternal charity, but we should be indifferent to certain people and just pray, pray for the hastening of their death and pray that they go to hell as soon as possible. Okay, that's the trad ink position, whether, whether you like it or not. That's the trad ink position that is 180 degrees opposite of the gospel. How could their position possibly be correct if it requires you to be on the, the, the antipode of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
um, it doesn't, and this all goes to consilience, and every data set and every argumentation stream leads to exactly the same conclusion. And I think that's a huge one that people don't talk about enough. Praying for someone to die and go to hell as, as, as a foundational premise of your position. Again, do you think you might want to check your base premise here? Something seems a little off to me. Something seems just a tiny bit off. Indeed. Indeed. Doc, what's next? Ah, well, there's two ways I can go with this. I don't know which one to go with first. Uh, I, I do have some exciting information uh, about what private revelations uh, might actually tell us about, of all things, the status of Jorge Bergoglio and Benedict's resignation. Uh, but I do have a couple other things remaining from the book. Uh, so Yeah, I, finish the book first, yes. Okay. So, in the first part of the book, uh, Federico Michelin... Uh, the professor and lawyer is actually Dan. He brings up the Miller dissertation. He, he's trying <gasps> to put. <laughs> no. Yes, he's trying to <laughs> trying to put the Ratzinger renunciation and Pope Emeritus into uh, some kind of context, and that's what he does. He he brings up those passages that the, all three of us have always talked about the last few years. Apparently, he's a he's a listener of the Barnhart podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's that's a good point. Uh, and then uh, Gaeta uh, uh, what's the gentleman's name? Gaetano, who interviews Petruno in the second part of the second part of the book, he's got a column again at Aldo Maria Valli's blog, uh, just from this month, a uh, little little earlier this month, where uh, he makes an interesting argument. Uh, and he, he Gaetano quotes. Uh, Francesco Petruno, that uh, you might argue not only substantial error regarding the the Declaratio of Benedict, but some of these Italians are also arguing that resignation in law is a what we call a pure act or a pure legal act, kind of like when you get married uh, and you say, I do, and you can't, uh, how do they phrase it? Because it's a pure legal act, the effect cannot be postponed to a later time. Oh. And that's what mm. yeah, and I've that's heard this February 28th at 8 p.m. Yeah, precisely, yeah. precisely. That's like uh, somebody standing before the priest and saying, "Well, I don't say I do yet, but at you know on on January 31st at uh, at midnight." Oh yeah. Um, uh huh. And, and the reason, and you know, we can't get into the details here, but the general reason for this is because what, what, what getting married has in common with becoming Pope is that it's God Almighty who joins the office to the man. It's not yeah. the cardinals. You know, the cardinals, right. select, they select somebody, but it's Almighty God who joins him to the office, and guess what? It's Almighty God who severs him who severs. Yep. from yep. the office. Exactly. So there. So I thought that was an interesting uh, argument. Um, and of course, he, he, well, he, and he being a lawyer goes it, into. It's always struck me that this none of this would have ever happened. All Ratzinger, all Pope Benedict had to do is when he flew down to Castel Gondolfo and he went out on the loggia and he said goodbye, goodbye, goodbye at eight p.m. If he had just walked back into the house. And there was like uh, there was a Nixonian resignation letter that said, 
I hereby, I hereby um, resign the office of the papacy, uh, Benedict XVI. That, that would have been it. That would have cured Why it, right? in the world wouldn't you walk back into the house and just sign a thing, you know, right, s- sign exactly. a document that says, I, I resign the office? It's just, it's weird. Especially when what you read out, uh, what you wrote and read out to the Cardinals uh, back in February was not titled Resignation. Yeah. It was a declaratio, which then he went on to describe how the resignation might take place or or not. But it was certainly at a future date. Or not, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It was certainly at a future date, which that's one of the things people were pointing out at the very beginning was, well, wait a minute. This is just a a declaration of his intention to resign. We actually need a resignation on, on on the date that he's leaving. And I want to I want to make a precision. This is not that I'm saying that Pope Benedict was playing five dimensional upside down underwater chess. I think he didn't walk back in the house and sign anything just out of ineptitude. And also, I think this is this is one of those examples of God writing straight on crooked lines, just taking this bizarre ineptitude and and error of Joseph Ratzinger and using that in order to, um, in a certain sense, protect the papacy from, you know, the likes, the likes of uh, Jorge Mario Bergoglio so that we, we can sit here and we are saying now, and I absolutely believe with all my heart that at some point in the future, hopefully within my lifetime, and hopefully sooner rather than later, that people will say that Jorge Mario Bergoglio and the papacy never had anything to do with each other. I absolutely believe that this will be acknowledged in the future. Please, please God, let it be, you know, like tonight before we all go to bed. That would be great. But in, in, in God's good time, obviously. But I'm not saying that that, that was some, maneuver, that some calculated maneuver on Pope Benedict's part. I think this thing is just such a, such a dog's breakfast messed up slop fest. And yes, I, I, I am saying that about Pope Benedict Ratzinger. Absolutely, I'm saying that about him. I think he made an absolute dog's breakfast. I think this is the biggest blunder, mistake, whatever you want to call it, in the 2,000-year history of the church. What Pope Benedict Ratzinger did is the biggest blunder ever made, in, in certainly in the history of the papacy. Certainly in the history of the papacy. But like you said, it it, it, it looks, well, yeah, look at it. And it's not just, uh, you know, was this God's way of protecting the papacy? I don't know, but it sure was apparently God's way of protecting us because we never would have understood the depth of the depravity in the hierarchy, uh, you know, beyond our wildest nightmares. We never would have seen all of this hatch out had Benedict not done what he'd done. So in a... In a strange way, a counterintuitive way, there's sort of grace that's come out of this, right? Because oh, certainly, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. it's, <laughs> I don't know. It's good that we see how bad it is. I guess you could say. Yeah, it's uh, 
the, the, the problem is all the people who have died in the interstitial 11 years right. thinking that Bergoglio is the vicar of Christ on earth and there is no hell or it's empty and, you know, their sins aren't sins and blah, blah, blah. The worst that can happen is my soul is annihilated. Yeah, and their yeah. soul annihilation and all that, absolutely. Um, that That's the the human tragedy and it's intolerable that that's been permitted to go on now for 11 years but oh yes where sin abounds grace abounds all the more and god always brings good out of out of horrible things that have happened as a result of human free will which pope benedict ratzinger obviously had so yeah we we see now that it, it isn't just a suspicion that, that the Vatican is completely overrun by sodomites. We're, we're sitting here staring at it all day, every day. It's being just rammed down everybody's throats to the point where, what was it? I just made a blog post. Oh, it was, it was a quote about the, the beauty of marriage and the sanctity of marriage by St. John Chrysostom on his, on his feast day. And I made the remark that y'all people who are actually married, it's like you've almost been forgotten in all of this because all anyone is talking about in both the secular realm and in the realm of, of the anti-church now, all anybody's talking about is this sodomite marriage and transvestitism and all this. And people who are actually married are just kind of forgotten about at this point. And so, you know, it's it's just sickening and like i said pray god that before we all go to bed tonight that this is resolved but like i said in his good time amen um well th this this has been foretold so let me jump into this uh so uh starting in march i'm going to be offering a class on marian apparitions and end times prophecies and i can give it a couple of tidbits today from some mysterious books. Uh, now, before I, I sound too out there, let me ground this in reality. There was a Monsignor René Thibault who wrote uh, La Mysterieuse Prophet, Prophétie des Papes uh, from 1951. Mysterious prophecies of the popes? About the That's, popes? Yep. 1951, Imprimatur of the Church, uh, it's an impossible book to find. If somebody can, can find it, uh, more power to you. But it did exist, and uh, it talks about the prophecies of Malachi, which uh, I'm sure folks that are listening to the Bonhart podcast know what the Mal prophecy of Malachi was. But um, what's interesting is that Ratzinger and Ganswine, uh, in separate interviews, attribute the prophecy not to Malachi, but they attribute it to St. Filippo Neri. Yeah, St. Uh, Philip Neri, his, his, exactly. his school. Yeah, yep. And uh, what these are is these are like vignettes of each of the popes that's going to reign until the end of the age or, you know, whatever that means. Well, guess what year uh, this Monsignor Rene came up with for the, the, the end of the papacy as we know it, so to speak. Uh, the year he came no, up with 2022? back in 19... Well, no, 1951. Well, yeah, he, he came up with the year 2012, which is interesting. Ah. Because apparently okay. it was in 2012 that Ratzinger informed his Secretary of State of his intention to resign. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
So how would somebody in 1951 figure out that something's going to go, you know, on the fritz with uh, with the papacy in 2012? Maybe those Mayan mm -hmm. guys knew what they were talking about. Remember the Mayan, uh, <laughs> uh, Mayan any, calendar. Anyway, um, the other the other uh, mysterious book, which again, if if you can find it, you're you're like Indiana Jones or something. Um, it's uh, a Japanese book and writ written in Japanese by no less an individual than the spiritual director of Sister Agnes Sasagawa, who received the visions of Our Lady of Akita uh, exactly 50 years ago, right? The, f the summer of s and fall of 1973. Well, oh, wow. uh, in this book, and I'll, I'll give you the translation into English, uh, it's by Yasuda, that's Father Yasuda was, was her spiritual director. Um, and uh, his last name is Shinpu no Ohanashi. And the title is Holy Mother's Statue and Its Tears, an anthology of tape-recorded preachment, Father Yasuda's narratives. And it's, it's co-edited by a couple of other Japanese gentlemen. And it's published by Tajimi Convent in Gifu, Japan on April 1st, 2003. Now, I learned about this from listening to a uh, YouTube video by a Father Elias. Uh, his name is Father, he's a Franciscan friar. He's a, a, an expert on all things about Our Lady. Father Elias Mills, M-I-L-L-S. And uh, this is gonna, gonna blow you away. Uh, and I'm only gonna read part of it and the other part, you have to take my course to, to hear the other part of the quote. But oh, the, you're so bad. But, but, I'm, but I'm terrible. <laughs> I, don't, I don't apologize the way I live my life. All right, here we go. Um, <laughs> what I have to do for my family. I, I have selfish reasons. I have to bring Ed Penton back to this country. We'll clear up all these false charges against him. If he, should be, if he should be hit by lightning... Or an off-duty police shoot him, in, shoot him in the head. I'm gonna. Some people in this room are gonna answer for that. <laughs> All right, uh, Dr. Masa, get back on track. Don't don't go down the don't go down the rabbit hole. All right, here we are. Uh, we're, we're talking. I, I, I feel like uh, uh, Frodo's friend Sam. What did you hear? Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, nothing, nothing, nothing at all. Something about the end of the world and the Dark Lord. Uh, remember. <laughs> Yes. What did you over, what, what over here, Sam? What does Gandalf say? Is it, isn't it a little late to be trimming the verge? <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't hear nothing. <laughs> I didn't hear nothing. All right, so this is it, folks. This is the, uh, you know, there, in my course, I'm going to explain how the secret of Akita is related to the third secret of Fatima. And here's a line, according to the spiritual director of Sister Agnes, which has not been made public but it, it, according to him, it's the revelation of Our Lady of Akita. And all the first, first half I'll give you, the second half you have to wait for the course. Here's the first half. Judas and the last pope are to sell Jesus to the enemy. Therefore, the era of Antichrist Pope will c soon come. End quote. Make of that? Wow what you will wow hmm. the mm -hmm. antichrist pope i mean we, we've had anti-popes but this is the antichrist pope 
Um, mm. They're going to sell Jesus to the enemy. Um, so, I, I, God have mercy. Amen. Wow. Okay. Man. So, um, a shameless plug here. Let's do this. What do you, what courses do you have coming up? Cause your, your spring mod semester is upcoming beginning in March, right? Yes. Well, and you have a one day coming up too, don't you? Uh, I could if people want, <laughs> but no, I, oh, I, did okay. the one, I, I, I did the one day back in January. Uh, although okay. people have been okay. contacting me and reaching out and saying that I, I, I need to do more of that. But um, what I have on tap for March, uh, on the eve of the Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas, Wednesday, March the 6th, we're going to begin our special course just on the Angelic Doctor, because wow. <clears throat> this March 7th is the exact 750th anniversary of Aquinas's entry into eternal life. Uh, mm -hmm. So we're going to look at St. Thomas Aquinas, his wisdom and his world. Uh, so if you want to learn about uh, Thomistic philosophy, Thomistic theology, and all about Aquinas and the age in which he lived, and uh, it's, uh, this is, this is the, the opportunity to do that. Uh, and it's a special year because not only is it the 750th uh, anniversary of his death, but next year, 2025, is the what would it be? The 800th anniversary of his birth. He was actually born in 1225. So there's lots okay. of special things going on this year. And this is the Maza uh, contribution to that. Um, the other course, as I mentioned, is going to be this uh, Our Lady's uh, End Times Prophecies. So we're going to look at La Salette, Our Lady of Good Success, or obviously Our Lady of Fatima, Our Lady of Akita. And then some a couple that people maybe haven't heard of. Uh, Our Lady of Revelation, which is set in Rome. Oh, yes, in Rome. Yeah, mm -hmm. huge. Uh, mm -hmm. And even Pius Twelfth was you know, in, involved in that per peripherally. Uh, Our yep. Lady of Civitavecchia, which uh, very few people have heard about. But again, my, my Italians have informed me on that. And Archbishop Vigano talks about it. It happened in the 1990s. Uh, again, a weeping statue, and this was when Sister Lucia was still alive, and there may have been some contact between the seers of Civitavecchia, which is Rome's port. It's Rome's modern-day uh, port. Yeah, if you've, ever, if you've ever been on a cruise ship that stopped at Rome, you were probably docked at Civitavecchia, yeah. And they've got a shrine, you know, it's a little town, so, you know, a 15-minute walk from the... Uh, the cruise launch, they've got uh, this little chapel where you can go and uh, honor Our Lady of Civitavecchia. So we're going to get into that. We're going to get into the prophecy of Malachi. Uh, what did Ratzinger have to say? What did Ganswine have to say? And what did uh, Monsignor Thibault have to say about 2012? And, um, mm -hmm. of course, La Salette, Our Lady of La Salette said that Rome will lose the faith and become the seat of Antichrist. Everybody knows that line. But a line mm -hmm. that many people don't know is that she said that the pape the how did she phrase it the church will be in eclipse mm -hmm. and the editor of the 1906 edition of the secret of melanie claims that melanie told him that what that line means is they will not know who is the real pope mm -hmm. so did that sound like a familiar situation 
Hmm. So, sounds kind of familiar. Yeah. yeah. Just well, think of how <laughs> think of how strange that would have sounded at the time, though, right? Mm. How could you not know? Yeah. How exactly. could you not know? Or, um, Sister Lucy, um, we had the impression it was the Holy Father. Yeah. Well, what do you mean by that? Like, hmm. and it was it was as if in a mirror. And mm-hmm. I think Father Z has made the point that the whole the whole point of the imagery of a mirror is that what's in the mirror is the inverse. The opposite, right? The opposite. So that would stand to reason and that would confirm everything that's going on here too. Anti-Pope. Pope, anti-Pope. Yep. Again, or- that line would not have made any sense at, at the time. Like it yep. just it seems insensical. What do you mean as if in a mirror? Yeah. It, and, and it took a situation like this to, to see that, well, it could mean this. And there's there's literally dozens and dozens of photographs of the two of them standing mm-hmm. there, you know, fake greeting each other, being, in a sense, the mirror image of each other, you know. And I think I did a photo essay years ago of that, of as, as if in a mirror, and there's just picture, 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 picture of them standing there doing that, that weird embrace of each other, you know. And, and they, you know, they all reveal themselves, right? So none of that would have happened without Bergoglio's permission or instigation. Right, he didn't have to have one picture taken with Benedict. That's right. He did. He didn't have to bring his newly minted cardinals to receive nope. Ratzinger's nope. blessing either. On their knees, genuflecting to him. Yeah. Yep. That's why some people Absolutely. would argue uh, that if they're not out and out heretics, uh, those cardinals might actually be valid for a future yes. conclave. Because they were confirmed and... by Pope Benedict. They were confirmed by Pope. Uh, I guess that plus that would, ju- supplicants. Uh, what's the word? Uh, when God gives you, the, when God gives you the power. Um, supply jurisdiction. Yeah. Yeah. Ecclesia, Ecclesia supply. Yeah. And interestingly, who would that disqualify? Touch me, Fagnandez. He would be out because that all happened after Pope Benedict died. Good point. So put 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 him on a plane back to Buenos Aires where he belongs, and he can go crawl around in the in the gay bars if he wants to. But uh, hopefully, hopefully, be consistent. Hopefully, he repents. Hopefully, even touch me, Fagnandez repents of his sodomy and his filth and his damage. Good heavens, can you imagine? Can you imagine? It's terrifying to think about that man's particular judgment. Goodness. All right, Mark. What do we got? What do we got? I was just uh, while you guys were talking. I was just thinking in my in my head how wild this is that uh, we've got another fan of the Miller dissertation, and how it's so succinctly. I don't even remember how I came across it. To be honest with you, it was so long ago at this point. Um, yeah. And then to, to actually, it was a footnote. It was a footnote. We were reading something, and it was footnoted in something, uh, and then you went and found it. I actually found a hard copy. They they ended up like 10 years after the fact that Greg published this thing as a hard yeah. copy book. And it's actually got some additional information in the years that came after when, uh, when he actually wrote the dissertation itself. So to have Ooh, that as a hard. Well, the, the other thing I remember, do you remember this, Mark? Um, we found a, like a PDF scanned copy of it, but whole big swaths of it were uh, unreadable. The The scan was bad. And so we were both like, we've got to find the hard copy of this. And we did. 
we did and I've got a I'm sitting here staring at my copy right now and I've given it I've given other copies of the hard copy that I ordered to several people and said just mm -hmm. go home and read this start start at chapter eight read to the end and then if you want to go back and read about the Anglicans and read about the Lutherans go ahead and do it oh that's another thing that talk about current events um yeah People are saying, why in the world is he letting these Anglicans um, say they're they're fake they're fake Eucharist in Catholic churches? That, I mean, that just happened this past week. Um, mm -hmm. What where was it? The Church of Saint Bartholomew. They let them in there, and they did one of their these laymen dressed up as clergy and as bishops, and they're laymen. And Leo the Thirteenth made that perfectly clear. Their their orders are completely totally null and void. And how could they not be? I mean, the, the Anglicans explicitly state that they only believe that there are two sacraments, baptism and Eucharist. They explicitly deny that holy orders is a sacrament. How could you possibly be sacramentally ordained if, you're, if the thing that you're a member of denies that, that holy orders is a sacrament? It's one of those violations of the law of non-contradiction because there's quite a few ex-Anglican clergy running around who keep saying that I was a priest in the Anglican communion and I was offering the mass when I was an Anglican priest. And no, sweetie, you weren't. That's why you had to be ordained when you came over to the Catholic Church because you were not ordained before. You, you're not double ordained. It's that you were never ordained before. You were aping the mass, you were committing a terrible sin of sacrilege, which makes me wonder, these Anglicans, Anglican priests who came over, have they ever repented? I think a lot of them have literally never repented of what they did as Anglican faux clergy. So Bergoglio, of course, lets these Anglicans in to do one of their fake, their fake masses in one of the churches of Rome, St. Bartholomew, I think. And people are saying, how could, it, how could they possibly do this? Because they, there's, there's two types of people now in the anti-church. There's, and this is the larger group, there's the group of them who don't actually believe in any of it, okay? I have a, an essay that I wrote years ago, going on a decade ago now, and it's called, um, I will self-edit this, they don't actually believe any of that Catholic bull beep, okay? And I use the word because sometimes you, you need to use strong words and I want to emphasize how, how much they don't believe and what contempt they hold the faith in. Most of them don't believe in any of it. So they don't believe in anything supernatural. They don't believe in the holy sacrifice of the mass. They don't even believe in their own holy orders. They just, they just think that this thing is a racketeering front that, um, you know, is sodomite friendly and allows them, most of them in the Roman Curia anyway, to live a very, very, very cushy life. Um, so they don't actually believe any of it to start with. So if they don't actually believe in, in the Catholic Church, there's no difference to them between the Catholic Church and the Anglicans. It's all the same. It's all the same nonsense, symbolic show in their minds that, that, that people are putting on. So that's a large contingent of them. They don't actually believe in any of it to start with. And then there's the smaller contingent of them who are Satanists and are doing this out of spite. They want to desecrate 
uh, the churches. They want this to happen. They want um, completely invalid, sacrilegious, faux liturgies to be going on in, in all the Catholic churches. It, ideally, they would have it going on in all the Catholic churches, whether it be Anglicans or Lutherans or whatever it is. And the reason we got on this is going back to the Miller dissertation, um, there, there's chapters in the Miller dissertation about exactly this, bringing the Lutherans back in and bringing the Anglicans back in. And how do you bring them back in? Well, you, you reduce the papacy to a meaningless figurehead position so that everybody can agree, oh, this doesn't really matter, so therefore shrug whatever. And then, of course, the agenda Demythologize. Demythologize the papacy, exactly. That's the buzzword that they all use. From the Miller dissertation, um, uh, Avery Cardinal Dulles in the 50s was talking like this. You say, wait a minute, Dulles, that sounds familiar. I've heard that name before. Yeah, did you guys know that one of the infiltrators of the Catholic Church in the 1950s was the son and brother of the Dulleses who were head of the CIA and Secretary of State in Washington, D.C. They sent their brother Avery into the Jesuits to infiltrate the church. And he started talking in the 50s about all of this. We have to demythologize the papacy. And it's just, you can't make this stuff up. Someday this is going to make a heck of a screenplay, and it'll be a, it'll be a fascinating movie. Um, might even be a trilogy. The CIA was involved with the, you know, the Catholic Spring and the whole everything that went down yep. in 2012 and 2013. I'm sure of it. Oh, and they no doubt. <laughs> and they still have operatives in play. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> that poor guy. I really do feel bad for him sometimes. But and then and then I come to my senses. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> But but yeah, I mean, so they're they're doing that's what they want to do. They just want to they want to desacralize and reduce the whole thing down to irrelevancy. And it wouldn't surprise me if um, if this whole business of ha having laymen who are masquerading and lay women, hey Anglicans, <laughs> and lay lesbians masquerading as priests and bishops, if having them uh, perform these invalid masses and getting Catholics to go to invalid masses isn't part part and parcel of the plan, um, you know, to get people away from the sacraments. Um, but I mean, obviously, the, the coup de grace would be to change the words of consecration so that Catholic masses were completely, totally invalid, not merely illicit, but completely invalid. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if this whole business as we saw this week of having um, completely invalid, sacrilegious aping of the Eucharist, of the sacraments being done in Catholic churches isn't also part of that plan. Well, it seems like a lot of the same people that were upset about the, the whole Anglican thing last week, um, where were these people when an anti-pope enthroned a demon in St. Peter's? Yeah. Yep. You know, adding to the list of what is it going to take? Exactly. Yep. The, the, all of that. So the church, well, really all of the churches of Rome, because of the infiltration of sodomites, y'all just have to take my, take my word for this. Every church 
needs to be exercised and reconsecrated. So there's going to be a lot of work to do, you know, when whatever happens, happens, call it the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, whatever you want to call it. Every single church, because of this massive infiltration, and not just in, in Rome, but I mean, it, it, the estimates at this point are that something like 80% of Novus Ordo priests are sodomites, and just horrible things have been going on in these churches and in these confessionals and, and so on and so forth. So you're going to have to have a massive program of exorcism and reconsecration of these churches. But now we have, I mean, St. Bartholomew's, it needs to be exercised and reconsecrated, I mean, explicitly because of what they did in there earlier this week with that, that fake Anglican aping of the Mass. And the same goes for St. Peter's, why I would never, I would not step foot in St. Peter's. Um, it's not, I mean, the story about the, the priest and the confessional back years ago when I was in Rome and I said, well, I'm, I'm close to St. Peter's, I'll go in for confession, and the guy told me to go home and commit suicide. Um, so that told me years ago that it was a hellmouth. Even before I came out and, and in 2016 and said Bergoglio isn't the Pope, I knew that St. Peter's was a hellmouth even before. Um, but now, with the enthroning of the of the Pacha demon on the high altar, St. Peter's needs to be exorcised and reconsecrated. And it wouldn't surprise me if that when that exorcism happens, as God willing, someday it does. Um, that it will be very similar to what happened when they exercised and consecrated the Pantheon. The Pantheon was built, Pantheon means, you know, all of the gods. It was, it was kind of like a universal Roman liturgical space dedicated to all of the gods. And as we all know, all of the gods of Gentiles, of the Gentiles are demons. So, in the 600s, I believe, it was finally donated to the church, and the church took possession of it. And of course, step number one is you have to go in and you have to exercise this thing. And so they go in, there's a massive liturgy, and everybody in Rome turns out, and everybody's standing there in the plaza in front of the, in front of the Pantheon, and um, they said that as the exorcism was going on, that the, the sound of the demons screaming in agony as they were being driven out of that, of the pantheon, it just, it literally put the fear of God in everybody. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine being standing there, standing there and they process in and they start, you know, incensing and saying the prayers of exorcism and you just hear these, these hellish screams emanating from out of this building. Um, and boy, a, a lot of people were uh, confirmed in their faith, shall we say, when that happened. I would bet you that if, that if they exercise St. Peter's, because of knowing what we know about the enthronement of the Pachamama, knowing about all the sodomy that's gone on in there. And believe me when I tell you, the, the sacristy of St. Peter's Basilica has been a functional bathhouse, especially since um, 1970 when Paul VI installed uh, Virgilio Noe as the archpriest of the Basilica. He was a flaming, flaming sodomite. The whole thing turned into a bathhouse, 
I've had people email me and share their stories about how they were in there, men were in there alone as tourists and were, just, and were absolutely cruised by gay men trolling for sex among tourists just walking around the basilica. It's, it's a gay landmark in Rome and sodomites go there cruising for sodomy amongst you know tourists. It's a meetup spot. It's a meetup spot for sodomitical encounters between layman tour guides and whoever, including uh, curial bishops and 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 monsignori and so forth. They they would say literally, we meet up. We meet up at St. Peter's, and then either they go elsewhere or they go back in the sacristy. The place is a bathhouse. If they exercise that, I bet you would hear screams of demonic agony as as the power of god drove them out of that space mm. well pray god it happens and soon I, yeah well it, yep. it will it'll be cleansed one way or another uh like saint robert yeah. bellarmine says point. in the time of antichrist rome shall be desolated and burnt as we learn Oof. from the 16th verse of the 17th chapter of the apocalypse uh, another yep. author lesius says in the time of Antichrist, Rome shall be destroyed, uh, as we see from the 13th chapter of the Apocalypse. Malvenda writes, but Rome itself in the last times of the world will return to its ancient idolatry, idolatry, mm -hmm. power, and imperial greatness. It will cast out its pontiff, altogether apostatize from the Christian faith, terribly yep. persecute the church, shed the blood of martyrs more cruelly than ever, and will recover its former state of abundant wealth or even greater than it had under its first rulers. So there are a lot of prophecies about Rome getting its comeuppance if, uh, if we don't get our act together. Well, the Chinese Communist Party is, is funding the Vatican to the tune of the, the anti-church, the Bergoglian anti-church, to the tune of two billion a year. And it's now being revealed that, um, like for example, the USCCB, but but also throughout Europe and other places where um, this human trafficking of this, you know, trafficking basically this this invasion force into the post-Christian West, um, that the 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 church in North America, the church in the United States, well, and that would also be Canada, that they're they're making billions and billions off of the trafficking um, of, of humans and uh, of this, like I said, it's an invasion force. It's absolutely an invasion force. And um, they're, they're making just enormous amounts of money, which is why I see people say in comm boxes and things, and, and God bless them, their, their heart's in the right place, but they say, we, we need to cut off all of our tithing. We need to just, we need to stop tithing and, and, and cut them off. And they're just laughing at you. The, the churches have been sitting empty. They're, they're not making any considerable amount of money off of, you know, Sunday collection plate tithing. They're making all of their money at this point off the Chinese communists and all of this, um, this human trafficking. And also they've been making enormous amounts of money for decades off of being for-profit middlemen, especially in the United States for um, healthcare delivery. 
I've said this before, the Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth, who were right out my bedroom window growing up, they have a multi-billion dollar balance sheet and they have a Fitch rating. They have a Fitch bond rating. Why do the Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth have that kind of money? Because they are a for-profit middleman for healthcare delivery. They own hospitals. And that's all there is to it. So that's all been corrupted. And now, you know, don't need to go even go down the rabbit hole of what's just happened to the world um, over the past four years now um, in terms of the, the satanic corruption of the healthcare industry. And they were all very, very much complicit in that. Don't get Nurse Claire started on the complicity of, of the, especially the Catholic hospitals and in, in what happened and the mass poisoning through the injections and the mass murder of people with ventilators. Don't, it's, it, when, when we do the next episode with Nurse Claire and Dr. Beep, we'll, we can revisit that, but it's a big rabbit hole right now. So, I mean, the notion, oh, I'm just not going to put my, my $20 bill in the collection plate on Sunday anymore. That, that's nothing. That's absolutely nothing to these people. Oh, I do have an interesting thing that I wanted to mention. I was told uh, that to go ahead and make this public. So don't ask me how I know this. It'll all, it'll all go in the memoirs. But very interestingly... Um, I was told that Cardinal Pell, uh, before all of the Australia trial, when he was sent to Australia to stand trial for all that stuff, he, Bergoglio had appointed him the, the new head of this new division of, of the, economic, the economics and the finance of, of the Vatican. And he and Cardinal Pell was supposed to be doing all this auditing and, and you know, being in charge of the money and so on and so forth. And so um, Bergoglio went to Pell and told Pell that he, Bergoglio, wanted a million euro cash slush fund for his own personal use. And Cardinal Pell told him to go pound sand. And not too long after that, Bergoglio sold Pell out to the Australians. And Pell ended up spending, what, 400 and some odd days in prison down there. Um, after that trial, and uh, you know, Bergoglio essentially tried to kill him. He tried he tried to murder him through through imprisonment, uh, uh, effectively, because Bergoglio was pissed off that Bill that Pell refused to give him a million euro cash slush fund. And you say, what what does Bergoglio need a million in cash for? And my response is is that cocaine and boy prostitutes are not cheap friends. And that's the whole lifestyle of what's going on there in the Vatican, including with Bergoglio. It, there's enormous amounts of just uh, highly, highly, highly criminal activity going on, including drugs and including prostitution. So there you go. Well, on that happy note. Sorry. <laughs> 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 well, um, Doc, anything else? Uh, I think that's it for today. Okay, we're coming up on an hour and 45. We're, yeah. our, we're kind of at our sweet spot. So do you want to wrap it up, Mark? Indeed, I, I did that well. Feedback, the email address for the show, if you have suggestions, questions, whatever, podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for Ann's benefactors, at least one mass every day plus one requiem every week for everyone who died in the previous week. Uh, please pray for the priests who are offering these masses and for all priests uh, I say it every time, but 
Satan's forces are certainly if you feel the if you feel Satan's forces at uh, at uh, at your front door, imagine what these priests are facing. So um, they're certainly uh, focusing their their fiercest warfare upon the priests. So um, that can be held back, uh, kept in check by your good prayers. So um, please do that. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you got some value out of this podcast, or this or previous podcasts, and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for more information. I think that's it. And if you want to do the Matthew 1720. Absolutely. Matthew 1720 intention. Keep praying fourfold. Number one, that Bergoglio be pe- publicly recognized and removed as anti-pope and the whole thing be nullified. Number two, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope from April of 2005 until his death on December 31st, 2022, uh, and for the Petrine Sea in and of itself. Um, Intention number three, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in the state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the beatific vision. And intention number four, we pray for the repose of the soul of Pope Benedict Ratzinger, our lady of Copa Cabana, slayer of the Nacho Mama demon. Pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for us. All right. Well, until next time, I'm Mark. Stay frosty, my friends. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. I have selfish reasons. I have to bring Ed Penton back to this country.